This is Father Patrick Briscoe. This is Father Joseph Anthony Cress. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all of our listeners who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Joseph Anthony, we are talking about on this episode the litany of trust. Mm, how did fan. you first? How did you first hear about it? Great question, um, and we'll 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 get to this a little later on once we actually dive into the litany. But um, I first heard of the litany of trust, I think, when I was in college, um, and so it started kind of with the Sisters of Life and with um, vocation fairs at Francisco University and all those things. You would encounter all these religious, and definitely the Sisters of Life. I think at that time would would help out with some of the summer. Uh, conferences or do some summer classes and things like that. So you would have these kind of little engagements and they just started making the rounds through there. So I think, I, I actually think if I, if I remember correctly, it was one of my household brothers, like his girlfriend uh, got it and had like handed it to to her boyfriend. And then it was like, kind of, that was my first was like, Oh, there's litany of trust. Never heard of that before. And then it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Th- there's something here to that. But it was like this random thing. But if I, re- if I remember correctly, I think that was the first time I had heard about this litany of trust. To and... me, that seems like a very Steubenville problem, you know, <laughs> then like a g- girlfriend goes to vocation fair, picks up something from none, says to a boyfriend, Hey, I got this thing at a vocations fair. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that is like that's that's one of the most Steubenville things. I, I think the only other quintessential Steubenville encounter is you know asking a girl that you're interested in to go get coffee, but first you have to do a holy hour together. Like, do you want to go to holy hour first, and then we'll get you, we'll get coffee later? Like, you know, like that's that's a quintessential Steubenville uh, experience. Nice. I think I found, uh, for me, it was you see, you've known this prayer a lot longer than I have. Uh, for me, it wasn't until I was re- ordained that I that I oh, took wow. notice of it because I discovered it. Um, discovered it was shared with me when I was preaching at Villa Maria Guadalupe, mm-hmm. the Sisters mm-hmm. of Life Retreat House in Connecticut. So it, it wasn't until I was preaching one of their Young Women's Weekends, um, which which I loved to do, such a great community there. Oh, man, yeah. at the Superior it was just a marvelous Superior. I loved those weekends so much. But it, but it was there preaching uh, preaching that weekend and le- learning how to be a retreat preacher that I, <laughs> that I prayed the litany of trust and really, really uh, kind of threw myself in, and did the work as a retreat preacher in God's hands, you know, praying, okay, Lord, I, I, I'm going to have to trust you in these ways. So for yeah. me, it was very, it was very timely that that was the first ever retreat I had preached um, at Villa, oh, and Sister Bernadette and the sisters of the community were just so supportive, and uh, I I needed that prayer mm-hmm. of trust that weekend to to do that work of preaching. Yeah, I, I would say even though I I've known about it for a while, like I haven't really devoted myself to it or, or really really pl- prayed it till honestly pretty recently. Um, it was it was one of my. Um, penitential not penitential but one of my lenten practices um this past lent and it was really really profound and and beautiful um i prayed it on like occasions one-offs here and there and and whatnot but i hadn't really prayed it consistently until this past lent and i'm I'm very thankful i did that it's it's a beautiful prayer and uh it's very challenging prayer very challenging prayer but very healing as well um so I, I think we'll, we'll talk about like the, all the healing and, and, and how it helps to aid and assist that because uh, 
um, that's part of the Lord's desire is mercy and healing. And this can be a, a beautiful tool in entry into that for us. Absolutely. So again, the prayer we're talking about is the litany of trust, and it was written by a sister of life. And, and we'll give a little, a little bit more background as we get into it. But first, I, I think it helps to contextualize the prayer um, mm -hmm. in our experience of the church or of life today, and to talk a little bit about the virtue of trust from the perspective of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, because hey. that's what we do on yes. God's planning. Hey. And, uh, then, and then we can uh, offer maybe some comments on the litany as such. So I, I, I want to jump in, in, into this first point here that I, that I, think, it's, I think it's really remarkable mm -hmm. that we have this beautiful prayer coming up today. You know, I, I really feel that the prayer's author um, was inspired in no small part by by what we're seeing. So Father Joseph Anthony, I wonder, could you offer a few words about how the prayer, the litany of trust speaks to our, our current moment where we're at as a society, as a church today? Yeah, it's 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 beautiful and important to see how the Lord inspires people, especially, you know, uh, religious or really anybody who's pursuing him in holiness to speak to our our to their contemporary world. Um, that this is we live in a society nowadays that has uh, almost every around every corner um, is experiencing betrayal and experiencing the the brokenness of having relationships um, broken by lack of trust. And so you see this with the there's less credibility given to um, you know family structures or in uh, institutions in, in the church or any really kind of institution that there's this um, brokenness that there's been a betrayal of some sort. And with that kind of betrayal comes a lack of credibility and um, the, the damaging expect, uh, effects on a relationship. And so this is experienced on a personal level, like I said, quite often within relationships, uh, whether those are um, family relationships or, or, or deep friendships that this has a, a huge uh, effect and it causes deep wounds uh, when there is a betrayal done. And this, this happens then on uh, kind of a global scale or more of a corporate scale with respect to institutions and those who are parts of them when we see that there is a, um, a betrayal of some, some aspect of the trust that was given to them by the members. And we see this quite often within within the church and the experiences of the church with the uh, abuse scandals that happened, and how um, how damaging and wounding that was for all Christians, um, and especially those who um, you know were in the church and were active in their faith. And it's extremely um, extremely damaging from that. So there's now not just a brokenness of trust, but then this kind of experience of suspicion and questioning of any kind of good deed and there's there's no act of charity then it's, it's always going to be questioned and suspicious because there's always this kind of guard up so as to not be hurt again and not to be betrayed again and so it takes this kind of focus and makes it a very more kind of autonomous focus where you have to do this on your own and there's this um a very tight tense relationship from that point on yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think the, the wounds uh, that people have experienced in family life are there. I think mm -hmm. the fact that society is more mobile, you know, people yeah. are just moving around, they're leaving their hometowns, the, the, the kind of established roots, 
and relationships that were, that were once the core are making people more isolated. Mm-hmm. And without that network of neighbors and friends and family and people you've known for years, you're, uh, you don't have as much natural trust in the people you live around. So I think there's, there's an isolation, there's an alienation caused by the mobilization of our, of our current society. I think that, I think that's a major factor too. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the lack of institutional support. There's a real call for transparency Mm -hmm. Uh, in our day, right? This is something we we hear all the time. We want our institutions to be transparent. Well, why do we want that? Because again, underneath, we're not sure that we trust them. Yeah. Um, In in crisis communications now, you can no longer say no comment because no comment is a statement and it means we're not going to tell you. Yeah. And (laughs) and, And that statement is going to breed further distrust and insecurity. Uh, and, uh, and breed, you know, again, a lack of confidence in, in, in a project or an institution. And so, so the, the call for transparency, uh, mobilization, the call for transparency. And I think, uh, you know, the last thing that I would say is, uh, is that as we become increasingly polarized in our political discourse, yeah. our way of communicating becomes more aggravated, more intense, angrier, mm-hmm. if, all, if all of those words make sense to you. And I think, argumentative. I think, I think everything is argumentative. Right. Yeah, argumentative. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. We're right. not able to like have a disagreement. Where we just have to argue at each other, and that that's a whole another issue. But yeah, that's right. So, so the kind of the kind of societal shouting, uh, particularly about about moral questions or, or questions about uh, about the nature of human sexuality, right? All all these things come out of a place of a lack of trust. That, that you don't have confidence that you can enter into a real conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. So you have to throw out your opinion as loud and, and as aggressively as possible so that you can build up the wall of safety yeah. because there's yeah. not the, there's not the ability to have a real uh, or a genuine conversation. Um, so, so I think it's a very timely prayer because of all, all of these problems. And I promise this episode about the litany of trust is not about, <laughs> it is not about the problems we see, but, but I think it is important, right? To say, okay, that to see that this prayer is an answer to a lot of uh, a lot of the things that we're seeing, right? So we wanted to wanted to spell mm-hmm. them out at the, at the top of our conversation. I wonder too if you could say a little bit about uh, about the litany of trust and devotion to divine mercy, um, because yeah. I was surprised to learn personally. Maybe I'm just kind of a dunce about these things, but I was surprised yeah, to learn are. how essential the virtue of trust was for St. Faustina and how essential it is for the sisters of Our Lady of Mercy who promulgated mm-hmm. the divine mercy um, devotion who are, who are entrusted with promoting it. So could you say a few words about divine mercy and trust? Yeah, I, I think it's like we we sometimes forget how kind of, I don't want to say basic it is, but how kind of like simple, maybe that that's better, is how simple it is that these two things, trust and mercy, are oriented to each other they're almost they're interwoven with each other that might be a better way to put it because when you actually look at that image of divine mercy um that has come from um the conversations that saint faustina had with our lord what did he instruct to have at the base of it it's a very simple phrase of jesus i trust in you and so this message of mercy, this message of peace, right? He said, the world will not have peace until it turns with confidence to my divine mercy. So this message of mercy and healing, this message of peace is built upon trust. In the ability to turn, right? When you turn, 
you turn from one thing to the other. So we're turning from division, we're turning from um, this kind of polarization and betrayal to trusting and how much mercy then is built on trust. And we can even go back, you know, uh, see the connections between um, Sister Faustina and how she speaks of the relationship with the Lord, and even go back further and see the writings and how similar the writings of St. Therese are to Sister Faustina's writings, and how St. Therese talks about being a small child to trust in the Father's love. In her little way is a, a way of trust and mercy. Right? There's a beautiful book um, by Jacques Philippe on... Um, St. Therese. It's called the way of trust and mercy. So trust and mercy are always going to be interwoven with each other. You can you can make distinctions, but I don't think you can separate them from each other. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I just want to point to the timeliness of this thing. Um, you know, in, in, at, the, at the height of evil of the 20th century, you know, what was the devotion spreading through mm -hmm. the church? Well, through, through the work uh, uh, of Pope St. John Paul II, we have the spreading of the divine mercy to help the mm -hmm. world heal from the atrocities of the 20th century. And I think divine mercy is leading us now in our, in our generation mm -hmm. to think about this, this virtue of trust, um, and, and not just trust in others, but trust in God, right? Um, as, as, our age, as our age is becoming increasingly secular, uh, as, few, as more and more people are having difficulties in their religious faith, it's important for us to talk about about the, the nature of trust, but but not just the nature of trust as a social virtue, the nature of trust as as a virtue between uh, human beings, the ones who are created to know and to love uh, God, right? right so to right. think about our trust in God. Uh, for Aquinas, you know, he doesn't. If you opened up the Summa Theologiae and you were looking for the article on trust, you would be dis you would be very disappointed because Saint Thomas mm. doesn't treat of trust in a separate article in its own article. Trust for Aquinas is an integral part of both the virtues of faith and of hope. And why is this important? Well, it's important because it means that trust is both an intellectual virtue and a virtue of the will. Yes. Because faith, of course, is an intellectual virtue and hope is a virtue of the will. So we see that trust, trust has aspects, elements. It's grounded in both the mind and the heart. Mm -hmm. So if you Google trust and you look for Catholic articles and you say, and you see people saying trust is exclusively a virtue of the will or trust is exclusively a virtue of the mind. That's not the Thomistic view. Um, trust is an admixture of both, right? Because mm -hmm, we need mm -hmm. in, in the mind and the intellectual virtue, we, we process all kinds of evidence in the heart. Uh, in the heart, we have, uh, we have reasons uh, that, that, we, that we make the choices that we make uh, as the will adheres to its object. So, so I, I think in the background here, uh, seeing that for Aquinas, trust is... Uh, an integral part of the virtue of faith in the mind and the virtue of hope in the heart is really key. In a beautiful article about the nature of trust, uh, Marie George is a philosopher. She teaches at St. John's, um, pulls out four, four integral reasons that lead us to trust from Aquinas. They're really great. And I think those are worth treating now. Yeah, same. So, same so I want to kind of walk through them together. Yeah, and just discuss them a little bit. I mean, the first is that Professor George says that Basic, you know, again, based in Aquinas, that we must believe ourselves to be an object of a person's concern in order to trust them. We must believe ourselves to be an object of a person's concern in order to trust them. In other words, we must believe that that someone cares about us. Yeah. 
in order for trust to exist. Yeah, I, I think that's if if you if you don't think that other person gives a rip about you, or maybe you have experiences and said like, oh, I thought they did care about me, but turns out they didn't because of a betrayal or, or something like that. You know that that's the, the trust immediately evaporates. There's just no possibility of it, and you have to care once again. And now we're bleeding over into, you know, willing the good of the other. You have to believe that they actually care for you, for your own good, not for how you can benefit them, right? Then, because then you feel manipulated, you feel objectified. If the only reason they care about me is because of what I can benefit them, it's it's you have to believe that they care about you simply as you. One of the things that I didn't, you know, we were taught, but uh, you you come to know things, uh, certain things more completely by experience, certainly. Um, but but one of the things that I, that I walked away from my early years in ministry is realizing the importance of the relational aspect uh, of mm-hmm. the priesthood. Um, mm-hmm. And that the most important thing that I had to do as a parish priest was convince not not by like a trick uh, <laughs> or, or an act, but but show, reveal that that I cared about the people of the parish because I actually loved them. That I wasn't yeah. interested in just protecting the institution or getting done the renovation that I wanted to get done. I had, I had to show that all of all, all of the things, all of the goals that I was seeking, was because I loved the people that were in the pews at St. Pius on Sunday. Um, and I think I think this is absolutely true. And as we're asking, okay, how is it that we, how is it that we can begin to restore trust? Um, I think it's by taking that seriously, by manifesting in overt, uh, in overt, uh, you know, in constantly articulated ways that that we really care about our people in a ministerial perspective. But then, you know, as a Christian, that we care about our fellow pilgrims. You know, do you know the names of the people that you sit next to at Mass on Sunday? Do you know? Do you know their names? Do you know them? Do you care about? Well, this this brings up another issue too. Is like, it's it's hard to to communicate somebody that you care about them if we don't talk to them and we don't listen to them, and and that that's something like, you know, we're dealing with the church right now and and with the synod and synodality and all these things. Well, that's an opportunity to show that like, no, no, we want to know you and we want to listen and and share in this together, and how important that is to actually just be there to listen. One of my favorite. Um, definitions of the church is from uh, Pope Benedict XVI, where he says the church is a community that hears and proclaims the word of God. And and so we hear the word of God and we proclaim it, but then we share that amongst each other and we have to hear and listen. And, but like you said, know the other person. And so to build up trust is actually to be with the other, to listen to them, to hear them, to 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 accompany that in in building up that trust takes that kind of um, intentionality. It doesn't just happen accidentally, and it's not a foregone conclusion. Like now we're getting back to what we mentioned earlier, like all the issues. Like you just you can't assume that anybody trusts or gives you just immediately by your title, reputation, or anything that they just automatically trust you. You kind of have to win it over now. Like this is just across the board. You have to win somebody's trust constant. I think uh, let let's move to the to the second point that that Aquinas mentions. Uh, you know, for Aquinas, in order to trust someone, we must believe that the person is just, generous, or merciful. Mm. 
In order to trust someone, we must believe that the person is just, generous, or merciful. Uh, and we can see how, you know, in, in interpersonal relationships, if we've been harmed by someone, uh, then uh, obviously that, that trust is going to be difficult, you know, if, if ever possible to, uh, to reanimate or restore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's going to be very difficult. But, but also, if we are ourselves unjust, ungenerous, or unmerciful, we will be more suspicious of other people. Which is which, which I think is is the difficult part of this statement. You know, we experience the first side of it in a in a kind of obvious way, but the second side uh, involves a kind of real examine of our own selves. Okay, like do you know, am I generous? Am I merciful? Am I just? Mm-hmm. How how is how is the way that I live and the way that I am intentionally living the virtue of trust? How does that impact what I expect from other people? Yeah, I I just think it's one of those things that it's that's in all of this, that's probably the most challenging um, aspect of of how Aquinas looks at trust is because exactly how you said it, I have to now look back at myself and say, oh, am I this way? You know, that's probably the most challenging thing is can I enter into this to then um, be trustworthy by others? Then the the third the third thing that Aquinas mentions um, that is you know, again, kind of natural, it makes a lot of sense. We have to believe the person competent or capable of Mm -hmm. trusting, right? So if you're asking someone for help, just for example, you have to believe that the person can help you. Um, (laughs) You know, like you you ask, you ask the person at the airline help desk, let's just, you know, take a random airline, American Airlines, Uh, you ask the person at American Airlines, for help because you have an American Airlines ticket and you need to get to, let's say, a random airport, DC Reagan. There it is. There <laughs> so it is. You, hypothetically, so, yeah, exactly. all this hypothetically. hypothetically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you see, so, so there's some kind of there's assessment of competence and capability, right? And there's a reasonable judgment. Trust is an intellectual virtue, um, as well as a, a virtue of the will. Okay, I, you know, I, I think that it's going to be possible. I hope that this thing can happen. So I'm, so I'm going to stand at the desk and wait for the uh wait for the person at the help desk to assist me because i i I think this can take i think this can take place otherwise i'm renting a car and i'm driving (laughs) i i think this is where the the second and third point are very intimately connected right to think that a person is competent and capable of doing this also kind of builds upon the fact that they are generous merciful and just um and so seeing that like if a person doesn't have the capacity to to or capability to be generous and we can't trust that they will be generous you know um and so i i think they're they're those two are are connected but i do appreciate how they're separated because that it's experienced in two different ways um which is important okay and finally this is the fourth thing Aquinas says that in order to have complete trust in someone, you have to feel near to them. Mm-hmm. You have to be, you have to perceive yourself as close to them. And this is the thing that I think is really, really difficult when we, when we start talking about mm-hmm. trust in the spiritual mm-hmm. life, right? Because if, if people are feeling or perceiving themselves um, either in, either in heart or intellect um, as being far from God, yeah. uh, this, this is, this is where it's going to get, get difficult, you know, to show them, okay, these are actually the places where the Lord is in fact, very near to you. 
mm-hmm. um, which is uh, you know a huge part of the work of the confessional right is just pointing out oh my gosh you no know, actually god is god is at work in this place in your life right uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and helping helping people to see where god is near um so we, so we have this we have this we have this question of distance of god um, you have any thoughts on that Tommy? Yeah, this is, you know, those experiences of spiritual desolation are, are real. And this is why they're kind of so problematic. And, and maybe that's too clinical of a term, but like, this is why it's so, uh, such an experience of suffering when somebody is going through a spiritual desolation, they feel that distance. Um, and maybe they can rationalize and say like, oh, okay, maybe I don't, I mean, I know he's always around and, and whatnot, but there's still this like struggle to have this like, comfort and proximity that well i can be confident in him i can trust him because i know he's within arm's reach and i know that he hears me when i cry out to him um it's really hard when you're you're crying out for help and there's no response there's no acknowledgement there's no recognition or signal of i'm on my way that other person may be going to go get other help right they may be running into the house to get the you know right kind of rope or ladder that you need but you're keep calling out and without that kind of just simple recognition, you feel the distance and you you feel abandoned. And I think that those are the two things. When you feel a distance or you feel kind of that desolation, it it kind of pokes in. And this is where the lies begin. The lies of the evil ones say, no, he's abandoned you, right? You're abandoned. You're alone. And that's always the lie of the evil one is that you are isolated. You're alone. But we have to remember in a spiritual way that, you know, to overcome that with this kind of sense of nearness to the Lord, even in a, um, a time of desolation. And sometimes it's not that easy. And sometimes to simply, when somebody's struggling to say, oh, just trust in the Lord, it'll be fine. Just trust in the Lord. It's like, actually, they, they're they not at the place to trust because they don't feel his His proximity. And that's right. they're actually hurting that person when you say, just trust, just trust. Like that, that's more detrimental than anything else. I, I completely agree. Um, so with that, let's let's turn to the uh, let, let's turn to what the what the prayer does though the litany of trust and how it how it builds up trust. So if you're if you're looking to help someone uh, to to begin to trust more completely in God, this prayer is a really powerful tool. Um, it has two two basic sections. You know, it's right. a litany, so it has a call and response. And the first section asks uh, to be preserved from certain evils. So mm-hmm. the response to the invocations for the first half of the prayer is deliver me, Jesus. And the second half of the prayer is a profession of confidence uh, of both faith and hope in the work of God, because it's a profession of, of trust. And so you say over and over again, those words that are on the bottom of the divine mercy image, Jesus, I trust in you. So, uh, you know, Father Joseph Anthony, do you want to give just like one or two lines from the litany that you think are especially powerful. Well, okay. So I, I carry this little card around. I, I get these by like the thousands and hand them out and like <laughs> shove them in every little thank you card I send out and stuff like love this, these little things. Thank you sisters of life. Um, but that's very structure. I'm so happy that you pointed that out. The reason why I love that structure so much is because it is a reflection. It mimics our baptismal promises that we make at baptism and we that we've made oh, this past wow. Easter, right? And this is why I love the litany of trust so much is because it draws us back to our baptismal identity 
Now it expands that and kind of like talks about that a little more, but it draws us back into our baptismal identity, which is one of being adopted children of God. And this is, once again, this is all about St. Therese, like to, to be a child of the Lord is to trust, to abandon ourselves into the embrace of the Father. And this is what uh, St. Faustina talks about, is to, to return back with confidence to the mercy of our Lord. So just those two sections, right, that rejection of evil in the litany of trust begins to highlight that in very specific ways, the specific lies, the, um, the false securities, the suspicions, the discouragements, all of these types of things that the evil one does, but that's rooted in our baptismal rejection of Satan. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his empty promises? I do. Well, then this is just an explanation of what those empty promises are. And then mm. there's an affirmation of God himself. So now I reject Satan, I reject evil, I have a conversion, I turn away from evil, now I'm turning towards the Lord. And then there's all these expressions of truths of the Lord, that you are constantly holding me and sustaining me, that, um, that you will not leave me an orphan, that you are present in your church. These are all truths that we're then affirming. So to me, I love this litany because it's just a more detailed expression of our baptismal vows in our baptismal identity. Awesome. I, my, I, my comment on the metastructure is very similar, right? Because this, <laughs> this litany is, is the great story, right? It's the great narrative mm. of Christianity, which is brokenness and restoration in Christ, right? So the, so the, the brokenness that we experience from sin and then uh regeneration new life uh the the perfection of the image through the lord jesus uh, through whom we begin to see ourselves most most completely uh, so, I, so i have a very similar take on uh on how, how the litany is ordered um and how it's structured and i i think that the power of praying it right is to begin to be able to see in really concrete way i use it in very concrete ways what the lies mean and what the graces offered are. It's so important to, to be able to call that out, to identify those things, articulate them. And because this is what it does, right? The, the evil one works in the shadows. He works in the subtleties and don't like claw those out into the light of Christ and let them be healed. Because this is where mercy begins to activate is when we are building our trust in him by turning away from the lies of the evil one, turning away from those shadows and placing ourselves in his light, right? The, the rays coming from his heart and the divine mercy, that's where the healing comes. That's where mercy heals and starts to what regenerate us and, and uh, reestablish us in who we are in the image and the likeness of God himself. And that returns to us our identity because that's what we've lost through sin is we've lost that. And it starts to be um, lived and received, but it begins with trust. This prayer is a very powerful prayer. I've seen it do incredible things in the lives of people that I've encouraged to pray it. I think that Sister Faustina Maria Pia, who wrote the prayer, received a very special grace from Jesus to do so. I, I, I just think it's really an amazing thing. I think as I, um, we conclude... Uh, before you go on that, I had a friend who met her and said, oh, you're the one who wrote the Litany of Trust. Thank you so much. And she said, I didn't write it. Jesus wrote it. And it's like, I, I truly, truly believe that. But, you know, so the evangelists can say the same thing, right? 
the Lord inspired the Gospels <laughs> and they wrote them. So we'll, we'll, we'll claim it's not scripture, but I do believe there's double authorship on this one. That's just me, though. That's just me. <laughs> so, I so I really encourage all of our readers to check out the litany. Um, you know, it's very easy to find online at the Sisters of Life website. Um, they've got tons of downloads, uh, tons of ways to download it. It's available in multiple languages and formats. Um, so check the litany out, pray it, uh, mm -hmm. encourage other people to pray it. I'd like to say a word of thanks to all of our supporters, everyone who listens to the podcast. If you'd like to tithe our work, check us out on patreon.com slash godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. That helps people to find the podcast and discover great things like the Litany of Trust. Visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplaining events. Above all, know of our prayers for you, and we humbly ask yours for us and for our efforts. God bless.